أشرف الخلق وسيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين اللهم لا سهل إلا ما جعلته سهلا وأنت تجعل الحزن إذا شئت سهلا سهلا رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم ربنا إننا نسألك في هذه الليلة المباركة أن تفك الكرب عن إخواننا المستضعفين في غزة وفي فلسطين اللهم انصرهم على عدوك وعدوهم اللهم انصرهم على عدوك وعدوهم اللهم عليك بمن ظلمهم اللهم عليك بمن ظلمهم اللهم عليك بمن رمل النساء ويتم الأطفال وهدم البيوت وانتهك الحرمات اللهم عليك بمن طغى وبغى وتجبر اللهم يا ربنا من أراد بالإسلام والمسلمين خيرا فوفقه إلى كل خير ومن أراد بالإسلام والمسلمين شرا فاجعل كيده في نحره واجعل تدميره في تدبيره واجعل الدائرة عليه يا رب العالمين اللهم ربنا قد نزل بإخواننا في غزة من البلاء ما أنت به عليم لا يخفى عليك شيء من أمرنا لا يخفى عليك شيء من أمرنا يا رب العالمين نسألك في هذه الساعة أن تمن على بنصر عزيز مؤزر يا رب العالمين اللهم اقذف الرعب في قلوب أعدائهم اللهم اقذف الرعب في قلوب أعدائهم اللهم رد أعداءهم خائبين خاسئين نادمين اللهم افضحهم بين العالمين اللهم افضحهم بين العالمين ولا تجعل لهم صرفا ولا نصرا اللهم يا قوي يا عزيز يا قوي يا عزيز يا قوي يا عزيز يا من أهلك عادا وثمود ويا من هزم الأحزاب وحده نسألك يا ربنا أن تهزمهم وأن تزلزلهم بقوتك وجبروتك يا رب العالمين اللهم إن السماء سماؤك وإن الأرض أرضك وإن البحر بحرك وإن الظالمين لا يعجزونك فاكفناهم بما شئت وكيف شئت يا رب العالمين اللهم ردنا إلى دينك مردا جميلا اللهم ردنا إلى دينك مردا جميلا اللهم ردنا إلى دينك مردا جميلا اللهم اشف صدور قوم مؤمنين اللهم اشف صدور قوم مؤمنين اللهم اشف صدور قوم مؤمنين أنت حسبنا يا ربنا نعم المولى ونعم الوكيل نعم المولى ونعم النصير أرنا عجائب قدرتك في الظلم والظالمين اللهم يا ربنا ولي أمورنا خيارنا ولا تولي أمورنا شرارنا ولا تسلط علينا بذنوبنا من لا يخافك ولا يرحمنا اللهم لا تجعل مصيبتنا في ديننا اللهم لا تجعل مصيبتنا في ديننا اللهم لا تجعل مصيبتنا في ديننا Oh Allah, we call upon you, we pray to you, we beseech you, we ask you, oh Allah, to heal our hearts. Oh Allah, heal our hearts from the emotional distress, from the, uh, from the sense of despair, from the sense of anger that has creeped into our hearts from what is happening to our brothers and sisters in, in Gaza and Palestine. Oh Allah, grant us healing and unify our hearts upon goodness. Give charge of our affairs to the best of us, not the worst of us, Ya Rab. We ask you to give charge of our affairs to the best of us, not the worst of us. You ask you to bring peace to the hearts of every person who's feeling distress stress now in Gaza. Bring peace to their hearts. Bring spiritual calm to their hearts. O Allah, give them victory and give them strength. Give them strength. O Allah, we ask you to make their hearts firm in this test that has befallen them and befallen us. O Allah, we ask you to make their hearts firm and to and to cast fear into the hearts of their enemies. O Allah, cast fear into the hearts of their enemies. O Allah, push away their enemies in disgrace and humiliation. Uh, o Allah, we ask you to push away their enemies in loss and failure and humiliation. We ask you to do away with the oppressors and to rid the land from corruption. Oh Allah, we ask you to rid the land from corruption. We ask you to rid the land from corruption and to allow justice to prevail, to allow mercy and compassion to prevail and to bring peace to humanity. Oh Allah, we ask you to bring peace to humanity through Islam and through guidance. Ya Rabbil Alameen, Ameen, Ameen. Wa Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. Amma ba'd. Jazakum Allah khair for attending today. 
uh, we're going to be having a Q&A session with Ustaz Zaid and myself. He's actually uh, a few minutes late. He's going to be here, inshallah, within a few minutes. Until he gets here, we're going to uh, start off our program with announcements as we usually do with Akhi uh, Ibrahim. So I'll pass it off to him. Inshallah, we'll begin with some announcements. First, we'll do some general housekeeping. Uh, as you know, we have the Slido QR code. So since it's an AMA, you can go ahead. If you already have questions in mind, maybe something you've wanted to ask, something you've tried to ask before, go ahead and start asking those questions so that people can look through them, liking the ones that are you know, to their liking or the ones that they like most or feel that are most relevant right now. Um, everything is open. Just maintain, please maintain the respect and the space and the sanctity of the, of the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So please keep it respectful and um, maintain that. Of course, we have snacks on either side. So please, if you uh, go to get snacks, grab them peacefully and come back to where you, where you sit. Sit, and if you have any kids running around or you see them running around, please direct them downstairs. We actually do have a program for the kids downstairs currently with Sister Ruba. Um, she'll be talking about some history of Palestine um, in a child-friendly, um, I guess, discourse. Um, with that, as we've been starting every week, we'll start with the Gaza action list. Um, we have starting with, uh, let's see, what's today's? Okay, so this Tuesday. Uh, 11 November 14th at 3 p.m. We have a roundtable panel discussion on Palestine and free speech. There will be a Zoom. You can find that Zoom on the announcements page or the WhatsApp page of, of ICPC. Um, if you're not on the ICPC community, find someone who is and they can add you to it directly. It'll have every single week they put all the announcements um, and this Gaza action list is there. And you can join any respective chat that we have at ICPC Clifton or ICPC Patterson through that uh, WhatsApp community. The next thing we have is the AMP call on Congress to demand an immediate ceasefire. There's also a link there you can follow. You can also report an incident to CARE if you or anyone you know may have gone through something or experienced something in the past week, two, three, four. Um, please be sure to talk to CARE, speak to CARE, and they'll give you a representative to, to discuss with and to open a case with. Um, and then also don't forget to urge your members of Congress to address the root cause of violence. There's another link for that. Um, as I said, downstairs uh, we have a talk with Sister Ruba, um, uh, talking to kids about Palestine. Moving on, we have upcoming a, a intensive here at ICPC Clifton with Sheikh Usama. Now this intensive is really important for us. Uh, it's an intro to Islamic law, an intro to fiqh, fiqh 101. So what is the sharia, what is fiqh, what are the different opinions, where, why, where do these differing opinions come from, how were the madahib formed, all of these questions will be answered uh, in an in a, uh, intensive fashion. So from 12, from 12 p.m. to 6 p.m., We'll have this intensive. We'll break somewhere in the middle for lunch, inshallah. It's a $20 registration. It'll include the book that we'll be reading through, and it'll include lunch, ta'ala. You can sign up on that QR code as well. You'll, you'll find it also um, on Facebook, Instagram, or the WhatsApp community. Um, in December, that's, that's Thanksgiving weekend, the Sunday of Thanksgiving, um, so November 26th. Um, in December, we have a Khasa'is class in ICPC Patterson, inshallah. That'll be with Sheikh Yasir Fahmi and with Sheikh Usama, um, inshallah. That'll be about the Khasa'is, the unique and exclusive qualities of the beloved. Um, that is from 10 a.m. to 4.30. That's also going to be an intensive setup. Um, if you're interested in that, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala, lunch will also be served there as well. Um, the Basics of Islam course is returning, and that'll be starting, is it this Sunday, Sheikhna? 
Where is the next? Inshallah, this Sunday we'll be coming back to the basics of Islam. If you know anyone that's newly practicing, or if you know anyone that is interested in Islam, or anyone that is just, just looking to learn about the basics, you can follow through and join this course. Now it'll be on Sundays, and we usually do it in the side room. Um, it'll be Sundays at 1.30 p.m., inshallah. Um, with that, I believe I covered all the major things. We still have our ongoing classes. We have the Sira class, which happens on Sundays at 7 p.m., and we have the Fiqh of Salah class that happens on Tuesdays at 7.30 p.m. Um, with that, I'll get off this chair, and I'll give it to someone who actually knows what he's talking about. Inshallah. Stav Zaid. Um, so uh, we just started off the program, Sheikh uh, uh, Stad Zaid, yeah. before you came. And uh, usually with our Q&As, um, we go through the QR code here, uh, the Slido, inshallah. So if you guys have questions, you can start asking it there. Uh, I think uh, Stad Zaid and I saw that it would be meaningful to start off with a brief reflection about what's happening now um, uh, on any different aspect of it. You know, I'm sure that we've all been following along um, uh, with what's going on and uh, it's just a continuation, a lot of bloodshed, a lot of loss of life. And um, we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives some type of faraj and ease uh, to the situation there. Uh, one of the things that I think is important to keep in mind now, though, is, you know, making sure that we're looking at what's happening over there through the right lens. Um, how should I process it? Are we an ummah that is full of ajz and inability? You know, I think this is something I spoke about in the khutbah. I think, you know, many would feel a sense of frustration and hopelessness and helplessness. The fact that we can't stop what's happening in Palestine and what's happening to our brothers and sisters there. And the fact that we see crazy things happening in the surrounding areas where none of the Muslim countries, the neighboring Muslim countries are doing much to support our brothers and sisters there. Um, and in fact, there is this sense of collusion that even you know, from some people within the country waiting for um, what's happening in Gaza to come to an end just so they could get leadership and rule. And it's bizarre and mind-boggling and very heart-wrenching. With all this, a lot of emotions could get stirred up. Um, and to be honest, you know, I, one of the things I was trying to address in the khutbah is uh, ajz is an inward reality, not an outward one. Inability is something inside, not on the outside. Um, ajz is not not uh, is not being is not um, uh, not knowing how to change the status quo. Ajz is actually not being willing to deal with the status quo. That's what real ajz is. And the evidence and the proof that we have of that from the life of the Prophet وسلم, is in the fact that he وسلم, had to deal with similar situations where he could not do away with the oppression of the oppressors. He couldn't do away with it. 
All he could do is go to the family of Yasser and tell them, be patient, O family of Yasser, for your appointment is in Jannah. You know, and um, that doesn't mean that the Prophet ﷺ was ajis and incapable. No, not at all. But growth, success, needs sacrifice. It absolutely needs it. And we're an ummah that's born of a lot of sacrifices from our righteous predecessors. So that's, I think, an important point to keep in. It'll help with doing away with any feeling of emotional fatigue, uh, any emotion. Any, I had another, uh, I, I, there's been people coming asking about this. Like, how do I deal? I feel like so helpless by what's happening over there. And I'm trying to do whatever I can, but it's, I still feel so awful because I can't change it. Um, and I think if we change our perspective on it and have a different read to it, that'll make a big difference in terms of how we feel on the inside. So that's my reflection. I don't know if, Sidi uh, Zaid, if you want to add something to that uh, about what's happening there, any type of reflection before we get into the questions. اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله. You know, I spoke today in the khutbah. I also mentioned the story of Sumayya رضي الله عنها and Yasir رضي الله عنه and Ammar and Abdullah رضي الله عنهم جميعاً. And I mentioned a few other stories of the early companions and their torture and their mutilation and how the Prophet ﷺ had to watch it up close. But there was, um, as I was reading through and, and reminding myself of that early history of our beloved messenger Muhammad ﷺ, I read through the conversion of Hamza radiallahu anhu and the conversion of Umar radiallahu anhu. And the conversion of Hamza, as many of you I'm sure know and remember, was very unique. Because Hamza radiallahu anhu became a Muslim without meaning to. Hamza radiallahu anhu became a Muslim because the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa was sitting by the Kaaba one day and Abu Jahl cursed him so publicly and so harshly that the non-Muslim women of the tribe of the Prophet ﷺ, when Hamza came back from hunting, um, antagonized him and told him, how can you allow that your nephew be cursed like this and be treated like this in the open? So Hamza marches up to Abu Jahl and strikes him with his bow and then says, I am on my nephew's religion, what are you going to say to me? And then afterwards, he went to Muhammad ﷺ and said, uh, Ya Rasulullah, actually I said this, but I don't, you know, I, I, I don't know. Am I, I don't actually believe that you're a prophet. And the Prophet ﷺ went back and forth with him. And Hamza had said, who spent that night tossing and turning, unsure. But he made a dua to Allah. That Allah, if this is the right way, open my heart to it. And in the morning, he went back to the Prophet ﷺ and took his shahada. Alhamdulillah. Um, Umar, I mentioned the story on the, on the member today, so I won't go back over it. But Umar left his house that day that he took the shahada. He left his house hoping to kill Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He was so convinced that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam was the source of all the problems in Mecca 
that he was on his way to kill him. Umar believed the propaganda and was on his way to kill the Prophet and instead walked in and took his shahada. Alhamdulillah. The reflection that came to me that I didn't share on the member was that Umar and Hamza radiallahu anhuma, their conversion changed the status of Islam. In fact, it's said about Umar, the Prophet wasallam nicknamed him Furqan. It said they nicknamed him Furqan because things were never the same after Umar became Muslim. Some of the Sahaba used to say, after Umar became Muslim, we were always honored and we were never debased. Because Umar brought that sharaf and that strength with him. The day Umar took his shahada, Hamza radiallahu anhu, and Umar radiallahu anhu led the Muslims for the first time ever, led them out in public, and they went and prayed in front of the Kaaba in public. That was the first time they were able to do it because of the strength that they gave them. Now I remember hearing this story as a kid and wanting so bad to be Umar or to be Hamza. I wanted so bad to be one of them. And here's what hit me today. I genuinely believe this community in America is full of Umars and Hamzas. I really believe it. And I don't think it's me or Sheikh Hussama. I don't think it's any one of us. I think there is a collective strength in Iman. I think there's a collective courage in the brothers and sisters in this mosque and the mosques around this country. I think there's a collective strength and capacity and capability and know-how and wisdom and knowledge that this ummah and this community in America has that will allow us all together to make this community like that community was, honored and not debased, inshallah. Nobody look for a Umar outside. No one look for a Hamza outside. No one look for an Asma or a Khadija outside. We will collectively be it for ourselves. And we have the capacity, inshallah. I really believe that we do. And I mentioned in the khutbah, and I know it sounded a little weird to people, but I'm going to say it. If you haven't noticed it, it's coming. They will try to drag us back to the 9-11 language, the West versus Islam. You have to distance yourself from terrorism. You're backwards. It's already started. If you haven't heard it, it's just because it hasn't reached the mainstream media yet. But it's already started, and it's going to continue to grow. But this community is not going to cower. We're not going to be afraid. We're going to know how to push back with wisdom and love and kindness. And some of those very people who are going to attack us will take the shahada because of our guidance and our wisdom, inshallah. So I really believe, walhamdulillah, and I genuinely believe this when I reread the stories of Hamza and Umar, that this community is filled with Umars and Hamzas, inshallah. May Allah make us like them. May Allah use us to bring this country and this world back to its sanity, inshallah. May Allah use us to bring this country and this world back to their humanity, inshallah. That's all I wanted to say. Jazakallah khair, shaykhi. You want me to take the first question? Inshallah. Ya Rabb. Some scholars say, <laughs> we're going to jump right in to the political and difficult, inshallah. Some scholars say that protesting against the government is not allowed. What is the official Islamic stance on protest? Can we protest against unjust policies? Um, Bismillah. Uh, so, um, you know, first off, I, I'm not sure how this exactly relates to our situation. Mm -hmm. um, do they not want the Palestinians to protest against Israel or something? Or <laughs> anyway, so the subject of protest. Uh, look, um, 
Is there a role for protests in this current situation? Is it making any type of impact? Uh, people showing up in numbers in various states and countries. And, uh, and I think the clear answer to this is yes. It plays a big role in changing the narrative and applying pressure. When we have a, a protest as vast as the one that was in D.C. that had... I don't know, at least 100,000 plus. Someone told me it was a few hundred thousand. I don't know the exact number. I don't know if you do. But regardless, when you have numbers like that showing up, uh, it sends a big message to not only the people in charge, but even the average American. When, the, when you see people coming together for a cause like this, you know that there's more to the issue than Israel being this oppressed entity and these Palestinian terrorists ter ruining their life, you realize that there's more to it than what CNN or Fox News is putting out there. Um, so uh, it forces the narrative to change. Now, are there sometimes questionable things in protests that happen? The answer to this is yes, there are questionable things. And not everyone has the temperament um, to be someone out there in a protest. Uh, and besides the temperament issue, sometimes there are people, people of different values and uh, levels of practice. You might find people mixing. You might find people not necessarily conforming to the ideals of our deen. Uh, the best thing that you could possibly do is to group yourself with those people who won't lead you to things that are necessarily controversial, Islamically speaking. Just that's the best thing you could possibly do. Group yourself. If you're a brother, group yourself with brothers. If you're a sister, group yourself with sisters. And try your best to avoid anything that would put anything in your Islam in question. That's what I would say about that. I got this bizarre, uh, you know, um, uh, I've heard this more than once in this past few weeks, this bizarre take on it that protests are haram because the people do everything in there that's against Islam and so on and so forth. But... The foolishness in this thought process is uh, the person does not realize that we have minimal tools in our toolbox to actually bring about change for our brothers and sisters in there. And if we start debating on the minutia of this, uh, the best thing you could do on a personal level is avoid the controversial. Uh, but don't try to stop it because you see people doing things that go against uh, your Islamic ideals. That's foolish. That's, that's, if you had so much power in your arsenal where you have news media and you have political influence and all this kind of stuff, I'd say, all right, maybe it's not the most effective tool. But we have very little few, uh, tools in our arsenal. I'll add one question to this, Ustaz Zaid. Yani, I've got this question too many times, way too many times. It shows that there's a great deal of foolishness in the thought process of many Muslims. Oh, is it halal to fast a day for Gaza? This whole huge controversy over, um, over, uh, over nonsense, uh, over batikh. Yani. So, so what, what is it? Where is this even coming from? A fast a day for Gaza is now haram or bid'ah or whatever because the Prophet ﷺ didn't do it. The thought process here is so diluted because is anyone claiming to fast for another human being? I'm fasting for Allah. Why am I fasting? Because fasting makes the mu'min's dua closer to being answered. And I want my prayers, our prayers as an ummah to be answered for Gaza. It's a simple equation. Let me fast. 
and then make dua, and then hopefully Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will alleviate the situation over there. There's nothing more to this calculus there. But they would say the Prophet never did that. Well, the answer to this is, have you ever heard of Salat al-Istisqa? Have you ever heard of the rain prayer? This is a prayer. I just want to ask the sisters in the corner over there if you could please lower your voice. Jazakumullah khair. Rajan lakhawat fil khalf. Barakallah fikum. So the rain prayer, the Prophet told the companions fast for three days. Leading up to this salah. Why? Because it's a great affliction. Drought. When people don't have water, access to water. It's a big test. Well, imagine when people, instead of having rain, not having rain, they're having bombs raining upon them. Right? Isn't this a big affliction? We're told to make kunut uh, nazila collectively. All right, why wouldn't I fast, hoping that collectively our dua will be answered through this means? So I hope this uh, ends this type of questioning, because I've been asked this like over five times. Is it halal to fast a day for Gaza? Anyone who tells you otherwise is someone who has a very shallow understanding of Islam. So I'm obviously not going to touch the halal haram part of this, um, uh, but I, I will I will say a couple of interesting things. So I went to the rally in DC. I was there. Um, it was not hard to stay away. So I, I you know one of the questions that has come over the last few weeks, like you know when you go to a rally. You're going to end up walking next to women who are not married, you're not married to and are not related to you. It's acceptable. I also find it kind of silly. I mean, you go to the mall, you walk next to women who are not married to you or related to you. You go to school, you sit next to women who are not married or related to you. you if you go to the haram in Mecca, you're going to walk next to women. If you go do tawaf, you're going to get elbowed by Turkish women who are not related to you or married <laughs> to you. Right? It's very normal. Uh, but, but, so why is it fixated on this? I don't know. I do know, and this is the first point I do want to make, I do know that there is a movement within the Muslim world, not necessarily here. There is a movement in the Muslim world to find ways to dissuade the masses of Muslims from standing up for their brothers and sisters. And so you'll find uh, uh, personalities who come online and say, for example, uh, the masses of Muslims should not speak about Gaza or Palestine, you should leave it to Waliul Amr, you should leave it to the leaders of states. And to protest the leader of the state is to cause division in the Muslim world. Uh, that doesn't, I don't think they've ever argued that for America, but they've argued it over there. And so I think some of that has sort of seeped over here. Um, the Sheikh has already answered how silly this is on its face, and I, you know, I don't think I have to comment on that. But I do want to say a couple other things. Uh, I was there, alhamdulillah. Um, it was probably 150 to 200,000 people, most likely. Um, and I can tell you, the biggest thing that I got out of it, because I know people also for years and years, they've been very like negative, what the heck does protesting do? And I agree with you, protesting doesn't seem to change the politic on the ground all that much. But one thing that it did do was that my young four-year-old daughter, for the first time in her life, was introduced to the idea of Palestine and to the qadiyya of Palestine. And she was able to see that hundreds of thousands of people are chanting along with her, agreeing with her, hoping that her people see freedom. And she has already begun to continue the cause. And this cause of the ummah is a cause that has to continue. And so there is something beautiful about this. It's just like conferences. A lot of times, if you were, I don't know if you've heard this, but most of us, especially the older people here, conferences are not our favorite things. 
these big Muslim Islamic, they're beautiful, but they're not our favorite things. But there is a benefit in it. You go, you be around Muslims, you be around people who believe like you, who are adopting the same cause, the same value. Not everyone at the rallies <laughs> believes like us and adopts our same values, but they do adopt this same cause, alhamdulillah. The other thing that is fascinating to me, I'm sure many of you have seen now uh, some PR managers for Israel are calling for a one million man march in Washington DC to respond to our march. Right? There's no way in the world they're getting to a million. Right? They're just delusional. There's no way. Even in Israel, I don't think they'll get to a million people walking in the streets. All right? And they've gone out of their way to offer college students money to come. All right? Some of, I'm sure many of you have seen this. Imam Umar Sulaiman shared it. Right? I mean, look at the desperation. What fascinates me, they actually care. I was at the protest and I knew in my heart, this is the most I can do, Ya Allah. I don't know that it's going to make that much of a difference. But it shook them. Why it shook them? I don't know. They have the power of the world behind them. They don't seem to care about good and evil. They don't seem to care about morality when it comes to the Palestinians. But this rally shook them. Walhamdulillah. Walhamdulillah. Why? I don't know, but it did. So keep doing it. If your enemy's shaking, keep shaking him. And memory will clip that. Alhamdulillah, let them clip it, inshallah. So I don't think we should be so foolish as to just abandon everything for the smallest minute criticism. If you're worried about not mi mixing with women, don't mix with them. I was very, it was very easy for me not to mix with women while I was at the rally. I spent the whole day with my daughter and she had a ton of fun, alhamdulillah. It was very wholesome. You don't have to do anything haram. I will say though, just to warn, a lot of weed, so do your best to stay away from it and don't get any secondhand smoke. Uh, may Allah start to protect us, inshallah. Uh, did you want to comment on anything I said? Okay. The second question. How can you treat a hard heart that feels numb and not moved anymore? Um, I think that's an interesting question. Look, uh, I think there's a lot of different things that can make the heart move. Uh, there's, you know, there's, you know, even we could relate this to what's going on there right now. You know, look, there are things that are, um, make the heart toxic, that negatively influence the heart. And there are things that revive the heart. You know, like, I need to invest those thing, my heart into the things that are going to cause it to wake up. Ghafla, heedlessness, is this spiritually blinding force that causes you to fall into a deep slumber. Look, for example, the Prophet ﷺ said, you know, Frequent your remembrance of the destroyer of pleasures. If I'm someone who invests their heart in trying to read what's happening in reality today, all the loss of life, you know, how can I see all of that and it not cause my priorities to shift just like that? Even just seeing it will cause your heart to soften up. Like, how can I, how can I continue to live my life the way I lived it pre-Ghazza after I see what's happening to children. We mentioned some of these stories. Some of these stories are very inspiring. I mentioned one of the, one of the ones I mentioned in the khutbah today was um, uh, there was this father that was being interviewed. He was on the ocean. His kids were running in the water. They were taking a shower. There was a lot of other people taking a shower too. But he said, uh, you know, we're preparing so that at least when we die, we'll be clean. So that when people carry our bodies, we won't be dirty. This is how we have to clean ourselves. We've got to go run in the ocean, right? Um, so that's... And the other story I shared in the khutbah was of that 90-year-old Ghazan lady. How many of you saw that video? There was this 90-year-old Ghazan lady. She was in her home. His, her home was halfway demolished. 
she, her roof was hardly intact. Uh, did anyone see this video? Raise your hand if you saw it. See, not many people saw it. A few people saw it. It's amazing, wallahi. She was 90 years old. And they're telling you, Hajjah, khudi bil asbab. It's not safe. You need to leave. And she said, Wallahi, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay right here. This is where I've been my whole life and I'm not going anywhere. Big lesson to the whole ummah. Nine years old, Allahu Akbar, how could she have this type of himmah? So me, when I see these things, it'll wake up my heart. Besides that, I need to start, right now, this is part of what I think, you know, one of the things I said needs to happen, I need to bring these things back home. I can't just watch these things and move on. All right, how am I supposed to change as a person? There needs to be a roadmap for change and it starts with me, from inside me. How am I choosing to view these things? I need to start thinking and reflecting more. Reflection in general is one of those things that critically wakes up the heart. Reflection in general. But I need to make my heart clean enough where the nude of guidance could come in. There's a lot more you can say, but that's, those are a few things. I don't know if you want to add something, CDZ. Um, I think the Sheikh captured a lot of it. I, I would say, we've answered this question, I think, at every AMA that we've done. Um, really, really, my dear brothers and sisters, dhikr, remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is a transformational act. It really is. If you find yourself in a state of hard-heartedness, of not caring, of not being able to connect, the answer is to lean into dhikr more. Not to run away from it. And to stop doing it, chasing a feeling. What happens when people ask this question is that quite often they say, well, you know, I pray, I pray, I pray, I'm not feeling anything, what's going on? Be careful that you're not praying for the feeling. That's not why we pray. All right? We pray because we want to worship Allah. We sit down to do dhikr, we sit down to recite the Qur'an, not because we want some good feeling, but because we want to worship Allah. And we do it for that reason. And it's the type of thing where you just have to force yourself to do it and continue to do it and continue to do it and you ask Allah that He opens your heart. And in time, with continued dhikr and continued Qur'an, you won't always notice it. You won't always notice it until it happens. But your heart will soften, inshaAllah. So do a lot of istighfar. Say, astaghfirullah azim wa atubu Especially if you're hard-hearted, istighfar is big. Because what, what makes the hearts hard is sins. So do a lot of istighfar, a lot of tawbah. Say, La ilaha illallah a lot, and send salawat upon the beloved messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam as often as you can. Do these things every day, read a little bit of Qur'an, pray your five daily prayers, inshaAllah, your heart will soften. Yes, sister. What are some tips, Shaykhi? Um... Well, you know, this is this this required some jihad and some effort. You know, you need to prepare before salah. Uh, you know, with your tahara, uh, with your wudu, um, with making your sunan before salah, uh, taking advantage of the different positions of salah to make dua in sujood, um, uh, understanding what's being recited or what you're going to recite. Uh, you know, it's I guess it's a process. It's a certain routine you develop. Uh, before so that's why we have salah the adhkar before salah and we have adhkar after salah you know so it's it, it all comes together as a routine Allah yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh so I'll, uh, how can you what are some things you can do to increase your khushu' in salah to increase your, your focus in salah 
I would, uh, you know, Sheikh Osama mentioned learning the what you're talking about. I've said this before. Qadam Institute out of Texas has a beautiful program that they've been doing now for more than a decade uh, called, um, well, I don't remember the name of the course. Meaningful Prayer? Uh, meaningful Prayer, I think it is, where they go through Surah Al-Fatiha, they go through some of the small surah of the Qur'an, and they go through all the adhkar of Salah, so that if you don't know the, what it means, you learn its meaning. Uh, and knowing the meaning makes the salah way more impactful, allows you to focus on what you're reciting. Um, Sheikh Qatanani used to give me advice when I was a young teenager, uh, and I asked him this question. He told me, before you go into salah, remind yourself of what you want from Allah. And then go into salah hoping that this salah will be the reason Allah SWT gives it to you. Um, and so if that helps you, great. If it doesn't, um, Sheikh, Sheikh Hussam already gave you a whole bunch of uh, great suggestions, inshallah. Um, We'll go on to the next question, inshallah. Uh, can you explain if what's going on in Gaza has to do with the signs of the hour? Um, look, you know, there are many signs of the hour, smaller signs and uh, me they say even medium signs and major signs of the hour. And a lot of these m minor and medium signs of the hour have indeed occurred. Uh, they're mentioned in various different hadith. And, you know, when it comes to when the major ones are going to come, this is from ilm al-ghayb. We could expect something, but we can't say for certain. Allah knows best when the major signs will actually commence. But does what's happening in Palestine have to do with the storyline of the end of times? Yes, there's many hadith that tell us about the struggle that the ummah will have um, uh, and there will be war, and there will be bloodshed, there will be harj, there'll be, and harj is, is actually not just bloodshed, but fitna, and ikhtilat al-umur, great sense of confusion. The Prophet ﷺ says that the one killed won't know why he was killed. And the one killing won't even know why, won't even have a good reason to why he's killing. That's one of the signs of the hour. you know. And in more specific detail, uh, there is, there are a hadith that tell us about a struggle for Bayt al-Maqdis and for Jerusalem that will happen in the end of times. And then ultimately, the Dajjal and his followers and Imam Mahdi and his followers will converge in, those, in that area. And Isa alayhi salam will come down and Dajjal will be killed in Al-Lid, which is in Palestine. It is definitely part of the storyline of the end of times. When is that going to happen exactly? We don't know. We should never affirm or say with yaqeen. But there's another sign. There's a critical one, guys. One of the critical signs of the Day of Judgment is before Imam Mahdi comes. And Imam Mahdi, when he comes, he's at the very beginning of the major signs of the Day of Judgment. Soon after him, the major signs come. When he comes, the hadith says that he will fill the earth with justice after it was full of corruption. Full of corruption. And, um, and this is something that is noticeable. That the, the, you know, one of the features of end of times is corruption will be, find, will be found at every single level of, of people's lives. Right? That corruption has become apparent in land and sea because of what people have done. 
Now, one of the signs of the end of times is this corruption will be even in the way the people express themselves sexually. It will be so obscene and so profane. It'll be so public. Ludity will be so public that people, the most decent of people in those times will just ask the person who wants to do this haram act and this fahisha and munkar if you were to only do it in private. Now all of this is indicative of a reality that if we're not living it, we're certainly close to a lot of its features. So there are, you know, there are many signs that have occurred and that are intensifying. I don't think anyone imagined, like it's, it's absolutely bizarre. Yani, it's absolutely, it's, you know, I don't, th- I don't know if we imagined that it could get this bad and so brazen in terms of the, you know, you know, the extermination of human beings indiscriminately on live television without regard. And then you'll find the powers of the world colluding to make it seem as though, um, it's the terrorists' fault for everything that's happening. It's just bizarre. But that's what I would say to that. I don't know if you have something to add to it. Just, just for context, you know that Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he said that killing will increase near the end of times, just to put it in context, in all of the wars of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, it was somewhere between 1,000 and I think 1,300 people who died on both sides, like between both sides, Muslim and non-Muslim, all of the wars of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, 1300. In just this escalation in the Gaza Strip, you have at least 10,000 who have dead. It's probably, probably significantly more from all the bodies that are under the rubble. 11,000. Right, so in one, in, in one month, just in that conflict, forget about the rest of the world now, just in that conflict, more, how many more times is that? More than 10 times the amount of people have died. So when the Rasul said that killing will increase, we're definitely in that time frame. We're definitely in that place. May Allah SWT protect us from fitna al dajjal and may he allow us to run back to him inshaAllah. Um, I've heard that dua can change your qadr. How does that work exactly? Is every, isn't everything written for you before you're born? Um, can dua change qadr? The answer to this is, of course. Of course. There's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that says, لا يرد القدر إلا الدعاء. Nothing turns away divine decree except dua. And uh, there's two types of divine decree. There's a firm decree, and then there's conditional decree. Conditional, this is what we call in Arabic, qada' mu'allaq. That this is something that may happen to you under certain circumstances. And that's why the element of our actions comes into play with defining what's going to be written for you exactly. You know, so the element of qadr here is, if you go down this door, you'll find this result. And if you go down that door, some, you'll find another result. These are all probabilities. That's why... Fortifying ties of kin has an effect for uh, bringing blessings and extending life. 
There is another hadith that tells us, The individual is denied part of his rizq because of a sin he commits. So does your, does your, do your actions have an impact on qadr? Yes. Just as your dua has an impact on qadr. Ultimately, Allah knows. Ultimately, Allah knows. He knows all of the possibilities and all the variables. But your actions define which door you end up going through. Yeah. Allah alam. Um, I think the next question we have that we haven't answered yet. What are some of the messages that Allah wants to show us through Gaza? Bismillah. What are some of the signs that Allah wants to show us through Gaza? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Um, uh, I'll share these. These are not in order of importance or obviousness. They're just what comes to my mind and my heart as I think through this. I, one of them that I would say for certain is uh, the power of Iman. Uh, when, you, when you look at Gaza, you look at the people of Gaza, and you see their reaction, it is impossible not to marvel at their strength and at their resilience. And this is not just Muslims. I've seen, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago on the member. I've seen more than a dozen now non-Muslims online who said, I, I don't know where these people get their iman from. And they ordered a Quran and began to read it because of how unbelievable uh, this is. You know, I've never seen, I mean, really one of the things that is fascinating to me, we see the pain of the Ghazans when someone else captures them in a candid moment. So like a lot of the videos you see that makes you feel anger and pain, it's not someone complaining into the camera, by and large. It's someone who's reacting to seeing their loved one killed, and someone else is taking a shot of them. But most Ghazans, when they're actually speaking directly to the camera, you find hamd, you find shukr, you find dua, you find joy, you find resilience. From time to time, especially the young kids, you'll find them saying, where are the hukam al-Arab, where are so on and so forth. But by and large, you find them, the only time you see their pain is when they catch them candidly. You know, they can say it's Pallywood. There's no Pallywood. This is real life. This is real life. They catch them in candid moments, you see their pain. Otherwise, you find them completely samadine and resilient. So I think number one, the reminder of Allah that iman goes deep. And Iman can overcome all of your circumstances. Sheikh Yasser mentioned a very big one at Dhikr and Fikr yesterday. The reality of life and death. That this life, everything you built up, you know, I was listening on the way in, I was listening to an interview with a Ghazan who now lives in the UK, who's studying in the UK now. And he was saying that, like, what, what was different about this war was that Gaza for the uh, Israel for the first time, they began by attacking the major apartment complexes in the highly dense areas that we lived in because we've been so used to. We're so used to knowing their bombing pattern. We know where they're going to bomb. So we stay away from certain areas or we'll go to certain areas because we know those areas are safe. That's where they began. And he said, everything I ever knew in my life has been decimated. My home, my school, my friends' houses, the coffee shops we hang out in, the malls we used to go to, everything in my life that I knew is gone. Many of my friends, I don't know where they are. 
In a moment, in a moment, we're talking about a month. A month ago, this guy had a full life. He had homes, he had houses, he had friends. All of this can go at any moment. It's a constant reminder from Allah. You, your family, your wealth, your home, invest in it, build it up. But know at any moment and at any time, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can take it. I, um, I don't, uh, you can continue, Sheikh, if you have any. If I have any more, I'll share some more, inshallah. Um, I, I think I'll share one. One of the signs, um, look, there's this verse in the Quran, it's a beautiful verse. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَتِلْكَ الْأَيَّامُ نُدَاوِلُهَا بَيْنَ النَّاسِ وَلِيَعْلَمَ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَيَتَّخِذَ مِنْكُمْ شُهَدَاءُ وَاللَّهُ لَا يُحِبُّ الظَّالِمِينَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this verse gives us something to reflect on. He says, as such we make days pass and interchange among people. They don't all stay the same. Mudawiluha, right? Powerful today, weak tomorrow. The weak tomorrow, powerful after that. The weak today, powerful tomorrow. And vice versa. So, you know, and then he says after that, Allah. So Allah may make known those who truly believe and so that he may select from them shuhada. One of the lessons I think in what's happening in Gaza is iqamat al-hujjah, is establishing proof. Proof against two. Proof against the powers that be. Today, oh powerful person, you have the ability to make decisions that affect millions of people, right? Superpowers of the world, take heed, pay attention. You can make decisions today, but don't think that you'll continue to get away with that forever. The bloodshed in Gaza is establishing proof against people of power today. Hey, guess what? The web of lies, the web of hypocrisy, the distortion of news, right? All of that is only going to remain for a part, uh, remain for a short time in history. I said this in the khutbah. History, brothers and sisters, is the graveyard of nations. History is the graveyard of powerful nations. That history has so many stories in it of nations that were so strong and they crumbled. And history tells us why they crumbled. And, and the process of their demise, it spells it out. People can't see it when they're facing it. This is something to think about for us, brothers and sisters. You know, you know, you know, as people who aspire to have conscience, uh, you know, and people of conscience and awareness today, people who are messengers to the, you know, the people in our country, we need to take heed. You know, if we follow certain patterns that have been uh, trodden by nations before, it's going to lead to ruin and demise. The bloodshed in Gaza isn't cheap. Yeah, they might treat it as cheap because as the defense minister of Israel says, they're animals, right? No more electricity, no more water, we're going to cut it off. Uh, and, uh, you know, subhanAllah, the things they get away with, right? If a Muslim said any of these things that these terrorist Israelis say, uh, what would happen to them? Look at one of the cabinet members with Netanyahu. What did he say? We're going to make it a parking lot, Right? One of the cabinet members says we should consider nuking the whole area. Allahu Akbar. And then we as Muslims, because they see us as inferior, do you condemn X, Y, and Z? Do you always put on the defensive? Always put on the, as, the, as though they're the, we're, the, we're the, 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 the weaker end of the spectrum. That life doesn't matter. So offensive in the way it's presented. 
Brothers and sisters, it's not going to stay forever. This bloodshed has a price. The oppressors should wake up. Because their demise is going to come soon after once they be breach these boundaries of Allah Azza wa Jalla. I think that's Iqamat al-Hujjah, establishing proof. You have power, what are you going to do with it? I think that's a big sign and a big lesson what's happening in Gaza. I do have to say though, I think this Hujjah, and I think Sheikh Hussam would agree with me, is, is also for all of us. I mean, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yeah. will specifically ask every single one of us, as Dr. Shadi and Musli loves to say these days, you know, Allah is going to look at your micro decisions. You know, He's going to look at all the small decisions you make, no matter how meaningless you think they are. This is what you're capable of. This is where Allah puts you. Allah is going to question these and ask you about these micro decisions. There's been something I've been saying for the last few weeks, and I tried to articulate it on the mimbar today. And it's difficult, even when I said it to Sheikh Qatanani yesterday, when I was sitting with him talking about the khutbah, he warned me to be very careful about how I said it. But I, I think it bears, I, th- I do think it bears articulation. One thing I think is happening for a lot of young Muslims in the West, and particularly young Muslims in America, is that the mask is being pulled off of, I don't know how else to put it, the Western, secular, liberal, moral philosophy. It has been the mask is being ripped off completely. There are many Muslims in the West that I've heard say, nothing will be the same for me after this. Nothing. And it's definitely the way I feel. I can't feel the same way about my politicians, about these speakers that I've listened to, these non-Muslim speakers that I've listened to lecture us for decades now, lecturing us about rational thought and, objecti- and, uh, and being objective and being loving and being humane and being decent and being fair and being just lecturing us for decades and they can't muster a condemnation when babies are being pulled out of the rubble they can't muster any sense of emotion or care why do we listen to these people why do we believe anything that they say why have we ever felt inferior to them why did we ever feel we have to defend ourselves or our prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam from them did our messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam ever come close to harming a child did he ever come close to killing a child did he ever come close to, ch- to killing an innocent woman? Never. Never did he come close to this stuff. Why do we feel the need to defend ourselves from them? Why do we feel inferior to them? Let them speak until they're blue in the face. Who cares? Really, who cares? Here's the dangerous thing. Sheikh Tanani was warning me. I don't want young people to hear that and think, oh, the West is lost and we have to do something. No, 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 no. And this is what I was trying to say on the member today. Our responsibility now is the responsibility that Muhammad ﷺ gave us. He witnessed his companions be tortured to death. And what did he do? He made dua for hidayah for his people. And he continued to preach, La ilaha illallah. And he asked Allah to guide them over and over and over. And I mentioned it in the member, I'll say it again. Abu Jahl, who killed Sumayya in vicious form. By, by, the Prophet ﷺ was there when he stabbed her to death. And still, the Prophet ﷺ made dua, Ya Allah, strengthen Islam by whoever is more beloved to you. Abu Jahl or Umar ibn al-Khattab. And Umar who was more beloved to Allah, obvious reasons why. But still, our Prophet did not condemn. Like he didn't like write them off that they're meaningless. Abu Sufyan who took part in the boycott that killed Khadija. The boycott that killed Abu Talib. Abu Sufyan was a leader during that time. And still, the Prophet ﷺ kept his heart open. Wahshi, radiallahu anhu, killed our beloved, uh, uh, the, the uncle of our beloved messenger. He killed Hamza. He mutilated his body 
so that Hind can chew the liver. And still, when Wahshi came to take the shahada, our beloved messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa accepted his shahada. So I think one message that Allah has made clear to Muslims across the world, this world is in darkness. It is suffering. It's in pain. And the only nur is the nur of Allah. And if we, the Ummah of Muhammad, are not going to stand firm and take this message and push it with all of our hearts, the world is never going to be lit up again. And so Allah is asking all of us now, you see this, you see this for what it is. Are you going to have the courage? Are you going to have the sacrifice? Are you going to have the strength to stand up and call with love to the world, La ilaha illallah. Are you going to have the courage to tell people that you are on a path of self-destruction and I have the path that will save you? Not because I'm special, but because Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam was special. And that's the last thing I'll say. I don't know if you want to say anything extra. No. You want to take any direct questions? Uh, if, that, if anybody wants, I think we have more here, but does anyone want to ask any direct questions from the audience? I don't know when we're stopping. Yes. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Yeah. 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 Ye
So let me summarize so everyone can hear what you're saying. So basically, Hajj, Allah barik for Umrak, he's saying that he's lived for a very long time, and his father um, was in the 1948 war, uh, when uh, um, uh, Palestine was, when the state of Israel was announced. Um, uh, so, um, and throughout this history, uh, with the events that we're currently living in are definitely a defining point in history. Um, there's something that's happened um, with the conscience of the Muslim Ummah. Something's being awakened within. And there's a beautiful verse he mentioned that everything has been created with Qadr. Inna kulla shayin khalaqnahu bi Qadr. It's all within divine decree. We are living history, brothers and sisters. And the way that people are being influenced by what's happening, you know, it might be depressing for when you look at it through a certain lens, but when you look at it through that, that other lens, that spiritual lens of alam al-ghayb, there's alam al-shahada. Alam al-shahada looks very stark. The, the settlements, the, 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 the concentration camp, the, the weaponry, the military might. But when you look at alam al-ghayb, you find that things are really, really changing. People you know, are being guided to Islam. People are being inspired to turn back to Allah. And that's something to think about. Zakallah khair hajj. Allah bless you. Allah hafadak ya rabbi barik feek inshaAllah. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We should look at it through a different way. Absolutely, Hajj. Absolutely. Does anyone have another question? Yeah, I, I do want to, before, I do want to comment on something. And I, I hope the Sheikh doesn't Go get ahead, bothered by me saying this. Go ahead. And, uh, but I, I do want to. I want to say this as an advice to my young brothers and sisters in the audience. Uh, uh, our beloved uh, elder mentioned the October seventh attacks in a certain light, which is shared by a good chunk of the Muslim world. But I want to warn: uh, we have to be very um, specific. We have to be very careful, we have to be very wise about how we say, what we say, and when we say it, especially where we're living. And where we are right now, the news about what happened on October 7th is extremely cloudy and is very, very difficult to discern. The propaganda machine coming out of Israel has painted a certain picture. If that picture is real, it's impossible for any person of conscience to, to celebrate that stuff mass rapes and the, the mutilization of bodies and torturing people and torturing kids in front of their parents and beheading babies and a lot of this stuff doesn't seem to have evidence but it's still being dragged out you know there's still all of this confusion nobody nobody should be foolish enough and this is, i'm not saying this to 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 uh, criticize my beloved uncle but i want to just protect the young people here nobody should be foolish enough to go around 
uh, bragging about this thing or praising it as something great and beautiful and noble. What you think you're praising, your audience is not going to think you're praising. They're going to think you're praising the death of babies, the rape of women, the burner of bodies. And that's not something that we can stand to. The Rasul would never be okay with that. Now we may be, rightfully so, very skeptical that that story is fully true. Yeah. But we don't know. We really don't know. And we have to be honest about that. And so keep our hands out. And that's one of the reasons why you don't hear us, uh, Ammi, up here on the mimbar, any of the shiuch talking about this event in that way. It's very, very difficult to discern. We have no idea. And even for Allah's sake, we have to be specific and, and, and accurate, inshallah. Even, even, even the, the Ibrahimi prophet, yeah. in his life, mm-hmm. now they are talking about mm-hmm. the reality yeah. of what is being proposed. Yeah. So, absolutely. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, they are saying that, no, it isn't. So, just, just so we can give more people a chance for questions, yeah. Hajj, let's, Jazakallah, yeah. Allah Ibarik Feek. Uh, so we had a few people. I'll come back to Dr. Lashin. So there was a, before Ammi, though, there was a brother in the back who raised his hand in the beginning. Who was, was it? over there? Father, uh, brother. They're, they're waiting for the war on Gaza to finish. <laughs> Do you want to comment on that, Sheikh? Anyone? Uh, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, the condition of the Muslim Ummah. Uh, um, uh, is is not in its best form. I mentioned one of the things I mentioned in the khutbah today was a certain scene from history, our Islamic past, wa mu'tasimah, and the story behind it mm-hmm. of this woman uh, who was taken as prisoner, um, and uh, in this uh, town of Amuria, which now it's uh, it's modern day Turkey, and. When this land was seized by the Romans and she was taken as prisoner, she called out, Wa mu'tasimah, wa mu'tasimah. And that, the Khalifa at the time, he was Abbasid Khalifa. His name is Mu'tasim Billah. And when they heard her say this, they just mocked her. The, the, her, her captors, they, 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 they laughed at her. What is Mu'tasim going to do for you now? So when this news got back to him, he prepared an army. And he went with this massive army to Amuria, and he recaptured Amuria, and he went and he spoke to the woman, I want you to witness for me before Allah that I answered your call and I came to you. We're a very far cry from this as Muslims today. Um, that's the reality. You know, and we pray that a better reality comes about, inshallah. That's one of the tests of our time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if your question is like you're trying to understand geopolitical realities or... Like so, I, and I'm not trying to 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 say anything demeaning. I genuinely don't know. But like, there's no way anyone here would know, right? Like, we don't know what the Arab governments are thinking. And I'm saying this again. It's obvious. I don't think I'm that important. Sheikh Hussama is, but it's obvious that certain eyes are on the masjid, and they're going to clip certain things. And there is this uh, weird belief in the minds of some strands of the non-Muslim community that all of the Muslims have this secret like uh, conspiracy together. Somehow, these billions of people around the world from different nations and cultures all have this deep secret together. So I just wanted to highlight, like we obviously don't know what, what's going in the minds of, uh, of the Arab nations. Unfortunately, um, a lot of people get bogged down in political realities and, and masalah and mafasid that are difficult to, to handle. I'm sure it's sure. nothing significant though, so don't well, worry. Wallahu alam. What's important is what we can do. And that's all Allah is going to ask us about, what you and I can do. 
And so let's do our best to help in any way we can, inshallah, and make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us leaders that are honorable and just here and in the Muslim world, inshallah. Ameen. Uh, I'll go to Ami, and then I'll come to Dr. Nasheen, and then I'll come um, to the sister. I'm going by order of the hands that went up, inshallah. So go ahead, Ami. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. Eyes are being opened around the world, Alhamdulillah. Yeah. وَعَسَى أَنْ تَقْرَهُ شَيْءٍ هُوَ خَيْرٌ لَكَمْ وَعَسَى أَنْ تَقْرَهُ شَيْءٍ تُحِبُّ شَيْءٍ وَهُوَ شَرٌ لَكَمْ InshaAllah. Inshallah. Inshallah. The victory is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always, inshallah, at the end of the day. And the, the Prophet taught us that he loves optimism and it's a form of ibadah to be optimistic in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, barakallahu feek for the reminder. Uh, Dr. Lasheen. So I'm just going to repeat the question yeah, and ask Sheikh Osama to answer. The question, of, I think a very profound and important one, is um, what do you do if you're, you're feeling guilty that you're not feeling guilty enough uh, about Gaza? And uh, along with that question, uh, the doctor asked, we all have lives, we have to live. You know, I, was, I think the word, the phrase that Muslims are using online is... Um, uh, it's very hard to strike a work-genocide balance, right? So you're watching this genocide unfold of your brothers and sisters, but you have all this work you have to do, you have kids you have to take care of, you have a house you have to take care of, and so on. So he's asking, uh, how would you draw a line, how would you balance out this reality? Um, I, I think it's a great question. Um, I think one thing that might help is if I figure out how to have, um, uh, you know, an active versus a passive stance on what is happening. And what, what I mean by active stance, I mean, I don't mean um, 
like, yeah, sure, there's the things that you're going to do, go out to protest or send a letter or speak to a senator. Or but I mean, the, the, the framing in my mind needs to be that what's happening there needs to actively be changing my perspectives, my life, uh, my priorities. Um, I, you know, look, there are certain limitations that, you know, I, I wish we could just press a button and all the bombs will stop. You know, there are certain limits. I can't do that. And yeah, I might feel guilt as an emotion in the beginning of it, but if I channel this through a different lens, this guilt might actually lead to a different result and a different emotion. I said this in some of my khutab. I firmly believe that it's not the Israeli bombs, it's not the airstrikes that are choosing these people to go through what they're go going through. If you look at it through Alam al-Ghayb and Allah's doing and how Allah is al-Qadir al-Qadir al-Muqtadir, this, what's happening there is Allah choosing them. I don't, yeah, I feel, I feel on a human level, I feel distraught by the, you know, the obscenity of what's happening there. But ultimately, I know that as soon as this child dies, he's going back to Allah Azza wa Jal, as soon as this mother or this father experiences the pain that they're experiencing and they return to Allah Azza wa Jal, they're going to experience such na'im that Gaza or any other place on the face of the earth cannot afford. One of the things I said, there was, you know, when you think about the mu'adala and the dynamic between Bilal and his oppressor, who do you think was um, uh, the weaker component in this dynamic. Bilal on the ground as he's being tortured and saying, Ahadun Ahad. And he said, if I knew a word that would get under their skin more, I would have said it too. Is he the weaker component in this mu'adala or is it the oppressor, the one who is trying to uh, impose and force what he wants to and he's, it's a futile effort and a few, of no avail. To be honest with you, I think the weaker component in what's happening in Gaza is that guy hiding in his plane uh, hundreds of meters in the air or that guy hiding in his tank uh, as he's bombshelling residential buildings. That's the truly weak and morally decadent person. So what I'm trying to say here is I need to look at the story through a different lens. Yeah, you're going to feel guilt now, but no, actually, this stuff didn't start a month ago. The ummah has been waking up. Uh, for the past few decades. And I should be happy about this. Yeah, I'm not going to be happy about what happened through the process of that. But I should be extremely happy that through the heartache and pain of the modern times, the Ummah of Muhammad is actually coming back to life. That people are actually starting to go back to the masajid. People are actually starting to go back to Allah. That are people, you know, young people by the, by the thousands upon thousands are actually becoming, um, you know, new sources of hope for the ummah. I, no, I don't think it's negative. Or, it should not inspire guilt. It should not. There are certain elements that Allah does not want to be changed right now. They will change. Right now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given the oppressors their time to do whatever they want. Go ahead, bomb as much as you want. Bomb as many buildings as you want. Cause as much tyranny and oppression as you want. There's going to be a day, you know the hadith, Allah gives time and reprieve to the zalim. Until he takes him. حَتَّى إِذَا أَخَذَهُ فَإِذَا أَخَذَهُ لَمْ يُفْلِتْهُ 
When he takes him, he's not going to escape it. So that's how I would, I would focus on the bigger narrative at play. This one month stretch is part of a bigger story that started decades ago. And for us as an ummah, with all the pain it entailed, it's actually a very inspiring story. Wallahu alam. Um, a few things, I, I, and I'm going to share these as like uh, communal therapizing and sharing of advice. Because I think we're all sort of struggling with this for the first time. We've seen a lot of We've seen a lot of harm in our lives. We've seen the Palestinians get bombed over and over. We've seen what happened in Iraq and in Afghanistan. We saw what happened to the Uyghurs and is still happening to the Uyghurs. May Allah SWT remove their oppression from them. Um, but it's never been like this. And so I think we're all sort of trying to figure this out together. Um, so I'll say, I'll say a few things. Though. I do think guilt should not be an overriding emotion unless you're really not doing anything. So if you're not spending time making dua for your brothers and sisters in Gaza, if you're not spending time trying to educate the people in your life about what's happening in Palestine, if you're not spending time and energy and money trying to help them, standing, trying to speak to your elected officials, these are the things Allah will ask you about. They may seem meaningless, but this is all Allah will ask you about. If you're not spending any, any time doing that, then yes, there's guilt. Otherwise, you're not the one dropping bombs on people. You're not the one forcing them to kill them. The, the, the feeling of survivor's guilt is a little bit of a... Um, it's a little bit of a privileged position that we like to like, give ourselves. Right? At the end of the day, Allah's going to ask us about what we can do. That's what we have to feel guilty about. So I don't know that guilt is the overriding emotion that should be governing us as long as we're doing our part. If you're not doing your part, then you, have some, you should feel some shame and some guilt and get going, inshallah. Um, but there is something else, and this may not be comfortable for people to hear. But I do think, I do think, um, what's happening right now has to force you to ask, have I been living my life really for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Have I really been putting my all into worshipping Allah, spreading the message of Allah, spreading good on this earth, doing the work of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, or have I maybe convinced myself that I do a little bit of that on the side, I try to focus on my niyyah, but by and large I'm living a comfortable life and that's all that matters. And this isn't about whether your house is nice or not nice, that those are superficial means. Right? There, there's a lot of considerations that go in here. I'm talking about the, the, the heading of your life, the niyyah, like, am I really living my life? If, that is a question I think we all have to ask ourselves very seriously. And if we don't, then maybe we're missing what Allah is trying to show us. That, like, really, are you giving everything that you can for the sake of Allah? Or are you just sort of selling it to yourself? Uh, there was one last thing I wanted to say here, and it sort of escaped me for a moment. So, uh, 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 bismillah. Look, there are moments of intensity. There are. Um, this is a moment of intensity. So, uh, you know, we're, we're potentially, I'm not sure, I don't know if any of my employees are here. So some of them are Muslim. Um, but every, every year, the day before Thanksgiving, we do a big Thanksgiving lunch for all the employees. a very fun time. Alhamdulillah, families come together, kids play. And some of my employees objected this year, especially the Palestinian ones. That like we don't feel right coming to a celebration and eating and drinking and having all this fun when our brothers and sisters in Gaza are still being bombed and mutilated and so on. 
And to be quite honest, it was a serious enough thing for me to consider. I don't have an answer yet. I don't know if I'm going to do it or not. Because it is a legitimate concern. I don't know if the Sheikh would agree with me on this, but my personal sort of North Star was, you know what, there's, this, there's something here. Because there's something so intense happening, I don't know if it's appropriate for me to have a big banquet while my brothers and sisters are done. We were going to have it at PAC, by the way. We had it at PAC last year. We were going to have it at it just It all felt very weird. Like I'm going to go to the Palestinian center to have a big celebration for my employees while our brothers and sisters in Palestine are being bombed. It, there is some irony there. And so I do think this is, it's a tough question. But there is something, I think, good in there. And I would ask the Sheikh to comment on this. For me personally, I do think this is an intense moment. People are being killed. I think it's legitimate to say maybe some of our greater comforts, we can let go. Some of our celebrations, maybe now's not the time. Our kids may miss out on some fun things. That's okay. Let them learn that there are times in life where this is, you know, this is just the reality that we live in. We, we feel the pain of the ummah. We're all in it together. Wallahu alam. So I do think there is an intense moment and it has its own special rules. I don't know if what you'd say to that, Shaykh. Oh, alhamdulillah. Uh, I agree. Uh, makes a lot of sense. Jazakallah khair. My barik fiq. The sister had a question here, and then I don't know. It's probably almost time that we yeah. wrap up. But sister, go ahead, inshallah. Why sallallahu Why Dunkin' Donuts? What's wrong with Dunkin' Donuts? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear anything about Dunkin' Donuts, so I just so no one knows. So go ahead, Shaykh. Um, all right. So you want to talk? All right. So look, um, the subject of boycott uh, is, I guess, um, you know, um, it's it, it's one of those subjects that has multiple viewpoints. You know, um, some people are very strong on the effectivity of it. Other peoples do not view it through that lens. It can be effective if performed in a certain way, like if you're talking about uh, what's happened to some of these companies um, in some of the Muslim countries where they were absolutely you know, blocked and no one wanted to actually um, go there whatsoever because of their support. Uh, but now, you know, on a bigger scale, like I'll, I'll share with you an example. There's this brother, he works for Johnson & Johnson. Uh, which is also a very heavy supporter of Israel. But it also has many Muslim employees. And he works there. And he saw their initial statement that came out, just as many, many other companies. Uh, very pro-Zionist, Israel, one-sided narrative. I don't, uh, and, you know, and his approach to it was very proactive. I actually heard this from more than one brother. There was another brother that, I, I don't know his company, but he shared the same story with me. And I think that I've heard from Sheikh Yasser say that he'd heard that from many people with their own personal companies as well. This brother proactively spoke out against the one-sided narrative the company put out there in a very respectful and cordial way. And he got this company to make some concessions and take retract their statement. In fact, this company, Johnson & Johnson, which is pro-Israel, actually agreed because of how he pushed and many other employees pushed. Uh, they actually agreed to initially donate $1 million to Palestinian causes for the people in Gaza as well. So I don't think you could really view the world through binaries because, by the way, you know, these, you know, it's not like, you know, there are certain companies where, you know, it's deep into the gray zone, 
right? Like where you're talking about people who uh, are part and parcel, a part of the apartheid system of Israel, supporting illegal settlements and so on and so forth. But then, you know, many, you know, because the, the company, the web of companies that are actually in this spectrum, you're talking about our entire political system. You're talking about, uh, uh, you know, millions, or sorry, billions, billions of our tax dollars, right, as Muslims who live in this country. Uh, so it's not really a black and white issue, and many of these companies actually have a, a vast base of Muslim employees uh, that work there. And um, there, it's not black and white because you will find these companies themselves, many of them, there are outlets to having a conversation and having them reverse their stances. So, um, you know, th there is an active approach and then there is a passive approach. You know what, I'm just going to cut all of these off and I have nothing to do with them. But the Muslims in these networks, you're talking about the hundred, with, uh, with how many companies there are, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of Muslim employees. They don't have that option to be passive. Yeah, you could choose not to go to Starbucks, but if you're one of the thousands upon thousands of Muslims who work at Starbucks in the various countries it's, it's, uh, it resides in, you're going to have a different stance. You're going to need to have an active approach unless you're going to quit your job. Uh, if you're going to take that level of scrutiny for where you choose to work, then guess what? You're going to make working a very difficult and tall task for yourself. Now, there are multiple viewpoints to this. Many people are heavily in favor. BDS... Um, uh, and they're heavily in favor of boycotting anything and everything. But there's another viewpoint that presents the perspective from the way I'm speaking about it. Um, you know, I've seen the image. I think you, many of you probably seen the image of the companies, the host of companies that apply to the basic living things that we regularly use. Uh, Two trivial stuff that are just luxuries, like coffee or mish'arifah. You know, and wallahu alam, I think that there's two ways to look at it. Go ahead if you want to say something. You uh, could raise your Starbucks uh, cup, uh, the, your Dunkin' cup for the camera if you want to. <laughs> I didn't know, uh, someone just sent me that apparently Dunkin' Donuts is doing is Israeli-themed donuts. I, I didn't know that, so I apologize. Uh, uh, what was that? I know now. No more, no more. It's a bad coffee anyway. I just got it because it was on my way. Um, I personally am going to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> If, uh, uh, so look, look. I'll, I'll say a couple of things. Firstly, I did want to clarify um, the official the official list that the BDS puts out is actually only about five or six companies. Really? Yes. And the BDS movement began with the idea that there should be focused, targeted boycotts for this very reason that Sheikh Hussein brought up. That I mean. Israel is a, is a major country in the Middle East. It's a major country on the world stage. It's going to be involved in a lot of, naturally, a lot of companies want to do business there. What are you going to do? Are you just going to stop buying anything from anybody? It's very difficult. Muslim countries themselves are doing business with Israel. What are you going to do exactly? So BDS focused their attention on um, companies that were supporting the occupation and the apartheid. That's specifically what they were after. So... Companies that were doing business in the occupied West Bank, companies that were um, doing business specifically in areas of Palestine where apartheid is very, very prevalent and obvious. So Puma is one of them. I had Puma socks for a while. I don't wear them anymore, right? Because Puma was backing the, the, the football team that plays in the stadium there. So there is a very specific targeted focus for this reason. Personally, I, while I completely understand what the Sheikh is talking about, I do want to say, again, 
There is a reason why Netanyahu went online a year ago and openly bragged about the fact that he funded movements to outlaw BDS in the United States. There is a reason why he did that. He did it, I believe, number one, there is an economic issue. Because it's not just about the companies. It's about all of these universities that do massive amounts of investment in, Isra in Israeli bonds and Israeli companies. That take all of these um, uh, trusts that they have and they put their hundreds of millions and billions of dollars there. There's a focus movement to get them to boycott. And that is a hurt. That does hurt the economy. The second thing is though that BDS is a non-violent way to protest this grave injustice. And if they're going to keep screaming at the top of their lungs, why are all Muslims such animals they can't do anything non-violently? Here's something non-violent that we're doing and you're trying to outlaw it. And it began to put PR pressure on them. It did. Whether, whether you want to admit it or not, Netanyahu had to come out to his own people and say, I personally funded the movement to outlaw BDS in several states. It's making an impact. So I personally, I think there is a strategy to it. I think if you follow the official BDS strategy, it's probably a little bit easier. Like Starbucks, for example, Dunkin' Donuts, not a part of the official BDS strategy. It's about six, five or six companies that specifically, specifically do business in the occupied territories of the West Bank and, and uh, support the expansion of settlements in Palestine. Well, look, not to mention, not, yeah. not to mention some of these companies operate with the fr franchise model. Their own, you'll find a Dunkin' Donuts location. It's not operated by a centralized um, headquarters. They're, they're a franchise. They're, yeah, this you one know, was definitely Muslim-owned. All of the Muslim employees owned. were Muslim. You yeah. have Muslim-owned businesses. You don't have this Israeli flag in every donuts, Dunkin' Donuts you walk into. It's not something that's imposed on every... Afwan, go ahead, Hajjah. Hajja, everything is taking a percent to Israel. This is what we don't realize. The clothes on your, the clothes on your body are taking a friend, a, a, particip a participation to Israel. It, you know this. You know assessment of it at this level, Hajja. I don't really think it's correct. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I respect the opinion, but I disagree with it. I, I don't think that this is the way that is really effective. I, I agree with what, uh, th those companies that are directly funding and funneling money to Israel and are active in this, that are mentioned in the BDS, I would agree with that. But to say that we need to cut out all companies that have any mention of it, not pe people don't have the luxury of doing that, uh, sister. You're talking about hundreds of thousands of Muslim employees that are throughout these companies. We have no choice but to have an active role in changing the stances of the company. When you choose to blockade them, then how does it make sense for me to boycott Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts and then work there? <laughs> or am I going to start giving advice to Muslims who work at Dunkin' Donuts? Hey, you got to quit your job. Because guess what? Your money or your work is funding this corporation that's ultimately supporting Israel. Right? 
Because it's why not? Allah, 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 There's more to the story than that hajjah. If we're going to approach it with that logic, then we need to choose another place so that our tax dollars in the tens of thousands by the individual aren't going to support Israel. Yes. It's a very well, short-sighted view. Wallahi, if I could say that, just I, with, with all due respect to my beloved sheikh, he is Fadal. my sheikh, but the, just allow me. Allah, I think the sheikh, the sheikh is very passionately pleading for his opinion, or not pleading, he's making his case. But I think he said more than once, if, if he respects the position, if that's the decision you want to make between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you for Go it. For it. May Allah reward you for it. The sheikh is just highlighting in his mindset, there is another way of pushing back. It doesn't have to be a complete boycott of everything. Um, but I, yeah, I just, I don't want to, we're going to get into like a, a, a long back and forth. This is going to be a heated issue among the Muslims. Absolutely. As yeah. I said, look, as yeah. I said, there's two viewpoints to the issue. Yeah. If you want to take one, then go ahead, go for By the way, Hajjah, don't buy Tide. Don't buy Tide anymore. Don't buy Downy anymore. That's don't buy any PNG products, please. <laughs> yes, please. Zakallah khair. So there's two viewpoints to it. We, we, have, full, we one, have full Turkish products, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. The alhamdulillah. There's two yeah. viewpoints to it. If you want to take that more conservative route, by all means go to it. But we cannot compel the Muslim ummah because you got to think of it, I'm addressing it from the standpoint of fatwa. If someone comes to me, oh, my company, I work at Johnson & Johnson. And you want me to tell them, quit your job? Well, don't put food on your table? Don't pay your rent? Go find a company that has nothing. And you know what? Instead, don't, don't go work at Johnson & Johnson. Instead, go work for a company that has, has all of its investments in riba. Get your money from riba. Don't support Johnson & Johnson. Hmm? I think your point was very well heard. Okay, so the the commute, the, the the audience has come alive with this debate. Alhamdulillah, Sheikh, are you okay to take a few more? There are hands going up. Do you want sure, to take a few more sure. questions? Okay, I, I see the two sisters who raised their hand, but there's a young brother who has kept his hand up for 20 minutes straight, just because of his energy. I have to ask you to let him go. Go ahead, brother. In the Quran, does it say that Palestine will be free? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think there's an ayah that explicitly yes. says that. There is. فَإِذَا جَاءَ وَعْدُ الْآخِرَةِ Allah. There is. It will be free. Yeah, it will be free. It's not explicitly in the Quran, the way you're asking. It will be free. Inshallah. Inshallah. Uh, the sister in the back, yeah. That's your question, Shah. <laughs> this, this is your position. We need to be a balanced people, sister. We need to be careful not to go to extremes uh, with our stances. I agree with that. I don't want to keep on getting pulled into this subject, but if someone wants to boycott Hajj and Umrah, by all means, please do. You'll find millions of other people who want to go instead of you. So, the, you know... <laughs> okay. No, 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 I'm not talking yeah, about yeah, you. Yeah, I'm talking yeah. about the I, I one do, who has this stance. Just... Yeah. 
Well, look, this is wrong for someone to speak of things from a dini perspective without proper knowledge. This is, this is definitely wrong. For someone to say that something is haram and they're not a person of fiqh and understanding, they can't do this. This is one of the things that we need to be careful of. Not to just follow our hawa in issuing ahkam. This is critical. Yeah. If I can just, I do want to comment on something. Again, Sheikh, please forgive me. Uh, this is the first time ever. Sheikh Hussam and I are not completely. <laughs> uh, I, I agree in general with the Sheikh's sentiment that like boycotting everything is going to be very difficult. Uh, but to go back to Saudi, right? There's been a long history of the people who are ruling over that part of the earth not necessarily being the most moral, the most just, the most supportive. Well, we're of actually Muslims. agreeing on that, right? Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. We agree on the history part. Yeah. I will say this, and I, you know, I'm supposed to go to Umrah with prophetic living in a month, so if, if, <laughs> if MBS hears this and gets mad, I guess I'm not going anymore. But I will say this, you know, th there is a lot happening in Saudi right now uh, that somebody in the Ummah has to call out. Somebody in the Ummah has to be critical of what he's doing in Saudi. Uh, it's, it's not small, it's not trivial. Bringing idols to the land of Islam is not a small issue. Bringing Shakira to, to, to dance in the land of Muhammad is not a small issue. This is, these are serious problems. So some portion of the ummah has to speak seriously and openly about it. And unfortunately, they actually cannot go to Hajj and Umrah out of fear of what that man may do. And so I can understand, I say this just to say this, I can understand that, that a portion of the ummah will say, this is serious enough, we have to speak out. And if that means that I'm not going to go to Hajj and Umrah for a while, I'm not going to go to Hajj and Umrah for a while. 100% I, I, no one without deen should say halal or haram. But I can appreciate and respect people having that sense that there's that's something serious. That's not boycotting, Shaykh. Yeah. Yani speaking out is one yeah. thing. Yeah. Boycotting is another thing. Yani yeah. when, I, when I'm going to do Hajj and Umrah, it's for me. Yeah. My relationship with Allah Azza wa Jal. That's different. Yes. So yeah, speak out all you want. I completely agree. Yeah, those people who speak out might not be able to go, like you said. Yes. But should we push for a boycott of Hajj and Umrah no. so that we could try to affect Saudi financially? No. I think it's absolute nonsense. No. That's what it is. No. The sister. No. Hmm? We need to close. Oh no, they're not. Kahu House is way better. Do not, do not diss Kahu House. Yeah, like Kahu House is a million times better than Dr. Way Dr. better. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So let me, let me tell you this. I totally understand what you're saying, sister. And, you know, I think, I think, you know, on a personal level, if sisters don't want to go 
get certain things that are considered luxuries, I think your parents would be very happy. If you stopped going to Starbucks and Dunkin', parents would be extremely happy. Probably saved like a few hundred bucks a month from that. But anyway, besides that, um, uh, you know, uh, we need to understand that things are not black and white. I'll give you an example. This Apple phone I have here, you, people condemn this Dunkin' Donuts, but they didn't condemn... You know what Apple does? Uh, the unethical practices that it has in some parts of the world that are affecting Muslims in China and uh, the, you know, the, 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 wor the work environment that is producing this nice phone for you in terms of the, the, the labor, labor that's, like con uh, that's uh, synonymous with slave labor. There's a lot of unethical things that Apple does too, by the way. So the thing is, the world that we live in, it's a web of intricacies. If you boycott one, guess what? And you support another, there's a likely chance that that other thing you're supporting is also affecting and causing corruption in the world in other ways that you just aren't perceiving yet. Yeah, it's not relating to Gaza, it's relating to something else. Um, but, but long story short, if you can boycott and find alternatives, I think it's a noble thing. But from my stance, like as someone who is preaching to people and teaching people, I, I don't think it's ethical for me to compel people on a large block for me to tell them you all have to avoid X, Y, and Z. But if someone on a personal, hey, go to Kahwa House, that's awesome. Please support Muslim businesses. Please find alternatives, that's awesome. I think it's a very noble thing to do. And, you know, and anywhere you find that you could act, actually do that, I think it would be great. You know, so that's, that's my stance on it. Personal choices, great, please go do it. Find alternatives. But to compel, I think the more effective approach is to actively pursue change. Now, if we apply this to politics, by the way, hey, you know what? I want to boycott politics right now because of all the, the garbage that's coming out, you know, especially from the Democrats. You know, and the Republicans too, two sides of the same coin, equally evil. I'm going to boycott politics. Well, guess what? You think that's going to make the situation better? It's not going to make the situation better. Just as I have this proactive mindset with where I'm going to incur change in those spaces, guess what? There's the opportunity to have this proactive mindset and incurring changes with these companies too. Yeah, we could pressure them through working through the system to change, and it's working. People are doing it. People are doing it. It's happening. So I think there's more than one side to look to it. Wallahu alam. Yeah. I will just say again, this was definitely a Muslim-owned Dunkin' Donuts. So Muslim businesses, Muslim businesses, I mean, this was a Muslim branch. Most of the Dunkin' Donuts that I would go to when I'm stuck are all seem to be owned by Muslim because it's always uh, a brother from Pakistan or a sister from, pa from Pakistan who's serving me at these establishments. So I, I, the sheikh, I think, does make a valid point there. But alhamdulillah... I'll go with you next time. What? I'll go with you next no, time. No, no, we're going to Kahwa House, definitely. That move forward hits different, alhamdulillah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept this night from us if the sheikh can close us out with a dua, inshallah. طيب إن شاء الله اللهم اغفر لنا وارحمنا وعافنا واعف عنا وتجاوز عن سيئاتنا وأصلح أحوالنا اللهم اهد قلوبنا إليك اللهم خذ بأيدينا إليك أخذ الكرام عليك اللهم أصلحنا وأصلح بنا وهدنا وهد بنا واجعلنا سببا لمن اهتدى اغفر لنا ذنوبنا اللهم اغفر لنا ذنوبنا اللهم اغفر لنا ذنوبنا واستر عيوبنا اللهم اختم بالصالحات أعمالنا اللهم اجعل خير عمرنا آخره وخير عملنا خواتمة وخير أيامنا يوم نلقاك فيه وانتراض عنا آمين آمين وأخذ عن الحمد لله رب العالمين جزاكم الله خير